Hello, and welcome to the Seven Stage Podcast. My name is JY Ping, and on today's episode, I'm going to talk about how to turn weakening questions into resolve, reconcile, explain questions. This is a follow-on episode from the previous one where I talked about how to convert resolve, reconcile, explain questions into weakening questions, and at the end of that one, I mentioned that the conversion goes both ways, and so. Today, I'm going to talk about how to take weakening questions and turn them into RE questions. And I gave this caveat last time, so I'll just say it again. This is not particularly helpful. It's it's usually people find it more helpful to take RE questions and make them into weakening questions because RE questions are the ones that are kind of weird and like don't fit into our uh, standard model of uh, examining logical reasoning questions, right? Like, you know, if you done a lot of logical reasoning or if you've seen uh, my lessons on LR, I push for this uh, unity of LR idea, right, where the different question stems are, generally speaking, superficial differences. They are masking, sometimes quite thinly, uh, the deep similarities. Weakening questions are just strengthening questions. Necessary assumption, strengthening, PSA questions, essay questions are just different degrees of strengthening. You know, they all play with assumptions. So RRE questions seem to stand outside that framework. And so that's what the last episode was about, trying to bring RRE questions back into the fold. So this episode, I suppose, is just if you're curious, but I guess it's also a good intellectual exercise to, uh, you know, flex those muscles to see if you can take weakening questions and push them into RRE questions. And again, I'll be using questions from the uh, June 2007 prep test. That's the one that the LSAC releases for free. The very first weakening question we encounter is in section two, question five. And here, let me just read the stimulus. Scientist says, Earth's average annual temperature has increased by about half a degree over the last century. This warming is primarily the result of the buildup of minor gases in the atmosphere blocking the outward flow of heat from the planet. Okay, pretty standard setup here. You have a phenomenon, you have a hypothesis uh, trying to explain the phenomenon. The phenomenon is uh, that if you look back over the last 100 years, on average, each year, the Earth warmed by half a degree. Hmm, okay, let's try to explain that. Why did that happen? What's responsible for this? And this scientist gives us a hypothesis, right, which is the you know, in argument analysis framework, that's the conclusion. She talks about these uh, things called minor gases. And these minor gases in the atmosphere, what they do is they act as a blanket, so to speak, right? Blanket over the earth. So that when heat is trying to flow out of the planet, it blocks that heat. It traps it in, right? It keeps the thing underneath the blanket warm. Okay. I mean, I, what, do I, what do I know about this? Right? It's a very short stimulus. If you say so, scientists, I guess, you know, that's your argument. Fine. It's possible that it's right. It's also possible it's wrong. Our job is to weaken it. The correct answer choice is B, which says, most of the warming occurred before 1940, while most of the buildup of minor gases in the atmosphere occurred after 1940. So here, what answer choice B is doing, well, it's doing a lot of things, but um, I suppose the most salient thing it's doing is divorcing the chronology of the putative cause 
from the effect. Okay, the effect is warming. B is claiming that the warming most of it occurred in the first half of the twentieth century, whereas the putative cause of that effect of the warming, these so-called minor gases that are building up, they didn't build up until, by and large, the second half of the twentieth century. Okay, well then it's probably not what's responsible for the effect. Okay, so very standard、uh, weakening question. Let's turn this into a RRE question. How do you do that? Well, again, cosmetic changes is all we need. Okay, so let me just、uh, read the stimulus with those cosmetic changes already made, and I'll tell you when I make them. Okay, so Earth's average annual temperature has increased by about half a degree over the last 100 years. Exactly the same, no changes. Next, here's why I'm going to make some changes. You can't have this be an argument. RRE questions in the stimulus, they don't have an argument. They're just a list of statements, right? So I need to remove this kind of oh phenomenon hypothesis framework. So this is where I have to make a change. I have to say there are these things called minor gases. They're in the atmosphere and they block the outward flow of heat from the planet. So again, I didn't change any of the facts. I just I just took that and made it not a hypothesis anymore. I'm just telling you that. These minor gases, they exist, and what they do is they act as a blanket. They block the outward flow of heat from the planet. Further, we know that these minor gases have been building up over the last century. Again, that's also not new. This is just information that was already stated in the original. This is the only thing that's new. Whereas the original said that it's the minor gases that's responsible for the. Half a degrees on average annual increase. In the RRE version of the stimulus, I'm going to say that it's not the minor gases that's responsible for the average annual temperature increase. Okay, so and that's kind of weird, you know. Even now, it, I mean, I know what the answer is. It still seems like it's kind of weird because it seems like you were setting me up. You being the scientist, the stimulus, you were setting me up to say that it is the minor gases. I mean, after all, why else would you tell me about the minor gases? Right? Earth's temperature on average has been going up. We have these things called minor gases in the atmosphere. What do they do? They trap heat. Have we had more of these minor gases? Yes, we have had more of these minor gases. Okay, then. Uh, I think I know where you're going, but then the scientist's like, "No, actually, you know what? It's not the minor gases, right?" So, yeah, that's weird. I, I, I feel like there's tension. I need to resolve, explain this somehow. And what's the resolution? What's the explanation? Well, again, it's just answer choice B. Most of the warming occurred before 1940, whereas most of the buildup of minor gases occurred after 1940. Right? See, that's so clear when it's stated, but before it's stated. Me being the not non-climatologist, non-climate scientist, how am I supposed to know that、uh, these things didn't chronologically line up in the way we needed to line them up? Of course, I just made the naive assumption that as the minor gases built up over the last 100 years, the Earth got warmer and warmer and warmer, right? Kind of lockstep with the minor gases build up. That's the naive assumption I made, and of course, I would make that assumption. Right, but it is an assumption nonetheless, and answer choice B is here to tell me that assumption is false. Okay, so、um, I do want to talk about other questions, but before I do, I can't resist the urge to point out something else very cookie cutter about this question, and you're going to see this happening a lot on other questions. Okay, and it's they're playing with 
some basic ideas in statistics. Note that in the stimulus, both the weakening original version of the stimulus and my amended RRE version of the stimulus, I didn't change this, so it's the same. So in both of those versions, what they're saying is that Earth's average annual temperature has increased by about 0.5 degrees over the last century. An average is just a statistic. It doesn't tell you about other statistics. Okay, it's, it's not like the only statistic. It's not even the most important statistic. It's just a statistic that you can use to describe a, a data set, right, an average. Other statistics ma matter too. For example, variance matters. Distribution matters. Those are different. Okay, let me just illustrate. Let's say in our data set, we only have two data points. They're just two people and they make salaries. They earn salaries, okay? Uh, person one earns a dollar a year. Person two earns $99 a year. What's the average, right? You, now that I have my data set, I can speak of statistics. Let's talk about average. What's the average? Well, one plus 99 divided by two, okay, it's 50. Fine, so I can tell you that on average, People in Chesterville earn $50 a year, right? And let's just say Chesterville is, you know, that's, they only have those two people working there. Okay, now I can have a totally different data set, yet still have the same average as statistic. Okay, I, I can have now in uh, Bakerville, we have two people again. One person earns $49, the other person earns $51. Once again, the average is 50 right? It's $50. So if I, all I tell you is that in a certain town in America, the average salary is $50. You don't know whether you're in Bakerville or Chesterville, and you can't assume you're in one or the other. In the town in which one person earned a dollar and the other person earned $99, variance is very high, right? Variance is a different statistic. It just measures how far apart the data points are from one another. In the town in which one person earned $49 and the other person earned $51, variance is very low, right? Because, well, those two numbers are pretty close to one another, right? So variance is another statistic. The LSAT really likes to do this thing where they tell you the average and they expect you to fallaciously assume that because now you have in hand one statistic called the average, Oh, therefore, you must know these other statistics, like variance, for example. You don't. Okay, you just you just don't. That's it. You also don't know about distribution. Okay, that's a different idea, but that's the idea that question five is playing with. When they told us in the first line that over the last 100 years, on average, the temperature went up by half a degree every year, we just naively assumed that 0.5 degree increase was evenly distributed to each of those 100 years. I mean, at least that's what I assumed. You know, 1900 to 1901. Ah, it got hotter by 0.5 degrees. 1901 to 1902. Ah, it got hotter by another 0.5 degrees. To 03, another 0.5 degrees. So on and so forth. I mean, it's possible that's how the increase was distributed, evenly, that is to say. But it's not necessary. And this is where answer choice B messes up that assumption. Right? Answer choice B is like, hey, you can't assume that. Look, here's what actually happened. In every single year from 1900 to 1950, the increase year on year was one degree. Right? So from 1900 to 1901, it was one degree hotter. To 02, another degree hotter. To 03, another degree hotter. And then once we hit 1950, from 1950 all the way to 2000, it just flatlined. 
year-on-year -year increase was zero. Okay, so I'm giving you sort of an idealized, simplified version of what answer choice B says. B is a little messier than this, but in essence, it's no different. Okay, so, but that's very, I mean, that's totally unlike the naive assumption of the distri distribution that I had in my mind when I just read, oh, you know, on average, temperatures went up by 0.5 degrees every year, right? But, you know, in Asteroids B's world, yeah, it's still 0.05 average because you just basically get 50 degrees of increase year on year for the first 50 years and then zero degrees of increase for the next 50 years. That's 50 over 100 years, which is 0.05. Okay, so B is describing a data set that is unevenly distributed. It is totally skewed towards the first half, chronologically speaking, of the data set, where nothing much happens in the second half of the data set. And the important thing is just to note that if all you've been given is this statistic of an average, it doesn't tell you about the distribution. That's it. Okay, so they're going to play with this, you know, in other questions. But um, I suppose already this was somewhat of an aside from the main topic of discussion, which is turning weakening questions into resolve-reconcile questions. So let's let's get back on track. Actually, you know what? Who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Ashtray C, uh, which is a very attractive but wrong answer choice. It says, over the last century, Earth received slightly more solar radiation in certain years than it did in others. C is attractive because C sounds like it's positing an uh, alternate cause. You scientists think that it's the buildup of minor gases in the atmosphere, which warms the planet. That's what caused the increase in our average temperature. But no, you're wrong. It's not that. It's because we're just getting more solar radiation for whatever reason. The sun is doing something funny, you know, and that, that's why uh, we're getting hotter. Yeah, okay, that would actually be the right answer choice if that was what C said. Okay, so C is wrong, but it's uh, importantly wrong in a very cookie-cutter way. It's not saying that. Sounds like saying that, right? I know, but it's, it's not saying that. C is making a comparative statement, and comparative statements are uh, one of the thorniest grammatical statements to uh, pull apart, to, to deconstruct, to analyze and understand clearly. Okay, so let's look at what C is actually saying. Over the last century, again, that's the same time frame, 1900 to 2000, Earth received slightly more solar radiation in certain years than it did in others, meaning in 1903, Earth received more solar radiation in that year than it did in 1923, for example. And then in 1964, Earth received slightly more solar radiation than in, say, 1965. You see, it's, it's not saying that Earth received slightly more solar radiation in the last century than it did in previous centuries, okay, which is what it needed to have said if it wanted to be a proper weakening answer choice, right? It's very important just to figure out for these comparative statements, what are we actually comparing? We're not comparing one century against other centuries and how much solar radiation we received last century versus, you know, how much solar radiation we received in previous centuries. No, we're looking in that last century and we're comparing the 100 years that exist in that last century against each other. But, you know, that's kind of a silly comparison. Like, of course we'd expect solar radiation to have some kind of variance from year to year to year. 
what I mean, you wouldn't expect for 1900 to have exactly the same solar radiation as 1901, and for that to have exactly the same as 1902, right? That would be kind of bizarre. That would make people think that maybe the sun was put there by aliens. Okay, anyway, um, that's a, another big tangent, but um, takeaway there is comparative statements. Really important to run your analysis on the compare statements. Figure out what the two things are that are being compared, and then figure out the quality on which they're being compared. Okay, so now for real, let's find another weakening question and turn it into an RRE question. And here I'm picking a kind of harder question. This is from section three, question 21. And again, I'll just read the stimulus first. It's uh, from an ethicist who says, on average, animals raised on grain must be fed 16 pounds of grain to produce one pound of meat. Okay, so that steak you ate last night for dinner, which just happened to weigh one pound, a cow had to eat 16 pounds of grain to produce that one pound of meat. Fine. Okay, let's keep going. A pound of meat is more nutritious for humans than a pound of grain, but 16 pounds of grain could feed many more people than could a pound of meat. Okay, fine. Yes, that's, again, true and kind of obvious. Of course, one pound of meat is more, has more nutrition in it than a pound of wheat, let's say. But, you know, on the other hand, 16 pounds of wheat, that's a lot of bread. Right? You can feed a lot more people than with just a pound of meat. All right, let's keep going. With grain yields leveling off large areas of farmland going out of production each year and the population rapidly expanding, here comes the conclusion, we must accept the fact that consumption of meat will soon be morally unacceptable. Hmm, okay, so the ethicist is saying soon, sometime in the future, soon. We have to accept the fact that we just need to be vegetarians. You can't eat meat anymore. Why? Because... Grain yields are leveling off, meaning we're not increasing grain yields, right? The increase is like, it's not like every year we're doubling last year's output of wheat and rice. No, they're leveling off. Last year we produced this much wheat and rice. This next year we're producing just about the same, okay? On top of that, large areas of farmland are going out of production. So we might even expect to see a decrease unless we improve efficiency somehow. But anyway, it's not good that large areas of farmland are going out of production each year. That's reason number two. Reason number three, our population is actually growing. We have more mouths to feed. Okay, but what does this have to do with eating meat versus eating grain? Ah, now we need to turn back to that whole, you know, analysis about like 16 pounds of rice feeding way more people than one pound of meat. Yet, that's about the conversion. You know, you feed a cow 16 pounds of, well, I guess, wheat, I suppose, or corn. That's 16 pounds of corn that people could have just directly eaten. Maybe like five people could have directly eaten that. But now you take food for five people, 16 pounds of corn, you feed it to one cow, that one cow produces one pound of meat, and that one pound of meat is only enough to feed one person, right? So that's, that's the, you know, in the situation where grain yields are leveling off, farmlands are going out of production, and on top of all that, population is increasing rapidly. Well, okay, so yeah, maybe. Maybe we do need to think about not eating meat anymore just to make sure everyone has enough food to eat. Okay, so that's the argument. Now, how do you weaken that argument? Well, there are lots of ways. You know, the argument makes a bunch of assumptions. It's difficult to imagine what assumptions, I mean, at least for me, nothing like obvious and glaring is jumping out, right? So 
you look at the answer choices and you just kind of let the answer choice uh, choices feed you, which is unfortunate. I always say that, but in this particular question, I just made a bad pun. But anyway, you let the answer choices feed you and you get to answer choice B, which says often cattle or sheep can be raised to maturity on grass from pasture land that is unsuitable for any other kind of farming. Why does this weaken the argument? Well, first, what is it saying? It's saying that there exists this land called pasture land, and on the pasture land grows grass. And you actually cannot turn this pasture land into farmland for corn or rice or wheat because they just, they tell you, B tells you that it's unsuitable for any kind of other kind of farming. So all you can do really is grow grass on this pasture land. Yet, the grass that's being grown on this pasture land is sufficient to raise sheep or cattle to maturity. So at minimum, that's the kind of meat that you can eat morally without impacting, without causing a reduction in the amount of grain produced that other people can eat, okay? Because this land was never going to be used to grow corn. See, this is a, I mean, it's a really good answer choice in so many ways. Of course, it just, it just totally weakens the argument because it goes right for an assumption. The argument just assumed that um, all the land was either going to be used to grow corn to feed people or corn to feed cows. And B is just like, no, that assumption is wrong. Not all land is like that. There are some land that you cannot grow corn on, but you can grow grass. And if you do grow grass, you can raise cows on the grass. So in fact, it seems, it almost seems like morally now we should do it, right? Because if we're actually having a food shortage, then I mean, you know, food is food. But it's also like really good in um, the sense of, well, I don't think I could have thought of that, right? I, I think like if you just make me sit here, may, maybe I could have thought of that. I don't know. To, given sufficient time, who knows what I can think of, but um I'll certainly say I'm pretty sure that within the time constraint that I have to pick the right answer choice, I don't think I could have predicted this assumption, right? Because, I don't know, I just don't have enough expertise with the, this subject. But if I read B and I understand what B is saying, well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, okay? So now let's, again, go back to the stimulus and make the superficial changes that we need to make in order to turn this from a weakening question into an RRE question. Again, the changes are superficial. And after this, I'll, I'll tell you, you probably already figured out how it's done, but um, I'll explicitly tell you how it's done uh, after we do this. So again, from the top, everything's the same. On average, animals raised on grain, 16 pounds of grain, 16 pounds of corn to produce one pound of beef. A uh, pound of beef is more nutritious than uh, 16 pounds, than a pound of corn, but 16 pounds of corn would feed five people versus one pound of meat, which would only feed one person. But again, grain yields are leveling off, right? Exactly the same. Again, large areas of farmland going out of production each year. And finally, the population is rapidly expanding. Okay, so all of this, you see, it's kind of building to that original conclusion that we must accept that uh, eating meat will be morally unacceptable, right? But then you just, you just negate it. And you don't make it a conclusion, right? Because of course, not a conclusion. Conclusion by definition has to receive support. None of the stuff above supports this. Right? If anything, they seem to be anti this. Right? So what you say is that, oh, but in spite of all that, we think in the near future, eating meat will still be morally fine. Right? And it's like, wait, how? How do you think that's going to be okay? You just told me that 
if we grow 16 pounds of corn and you convert it into meat, you feed it into to a cow to have it convert into meat, that's only going to make one pound of meat, right? Which is going to feed one person. Versus if you just let people eat the 16 pounds of corn, you, you're feeding five people. And, and you told me, you know, grain yields are leveling off, large tracts of farmland going out of production. Meanwhile, population is exploding. I'm expecting you to say something like stop eating meat because it's just unsustainable and we're going to end up with some people just not eating at all. Yet the stimulus says exactly the opposite. It says, but we expect that the consumption of meat will still be morally acceptable long into the future. So what you do here for these weakening questions, you take the conclusion, you negate, you slap a negation on the conclusion, and then you make it not a conclusion anymore, right? Because you just interject yet, however. And of course, that tension is resolved by the very same answer choice, B, which tells you that not all land, farmland, is equal. And in fact, there exists this specific type of farmland that you cannot use for anything. Any kind of grain farming just won't won't do. All it does is grows grass, right? So, and you know what? The grass that it grows is actually enough to feed cattle or sheep and to raise them to maturity. So in just, you know, in exactly the same way, it's, it's playing with those same assumptions that we brought in, right? Of course, we would naively assume, unless you have farming experience, right? I, w- I would guess um, you would probably just assume that farmland is farmland, right? If it can grow corn, it can grow other stuff, Right, it can grow grass, it can grow corn, it can grow wheat or rice. Uh, but, <laughs> well, even saying this out loud, I feel like that seems like a pretty silly assumption. Makes more sense, actually, if, if land was actually different. You know, some land is suitable for growing certain types of things, but not others. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's the um, assumption that B plays with. Okay, so there you have it. This is how you take a weakening question and you turn it into an RRE question. You take the conclusion slap a negation on it, throw away that conclusion indicator, and that's it. Right? It's exactly the opposite maneuvering to take an RRE question and turn it into a weakening question. So do go ahead and practice this, because I think it's really only through uh, practicing and doing it yourself that you'll come to recognize that these two question types that are seemingly very different are actually deeply very similar. And again, they're similar in exactly that Uh, They are messing with, they're kind of setting, the stimulus is setting us up to bring some naive assumptions into it. And the correct answer choice calls those assumptions out. Okay, so that's it for today. I hope you found that helpful. If you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. Uh, It really does help us out. The podcast is relatively new, and I still do want to grow the uh, number of subscribers. And I think the most effective way to do that is for Apple to get reviews um, submitted about the podcast. So if you haven't done so yet, uh, I implore you to please uh, leave a review, give us a rating. Um, It really would help a lot. Okay, thank you. See you next time.